everyone, and welcome to episode 316 of The Brian Oak Show. Hard to imagine we've already got 315 of these in the rearview mirror, but we do. The cool thing is, though, you never know what the future's going to hold, right? You never know exactly where it's going to go. You never know what might come next. And if I'm honest, I'm a little giddy about today's guests. You know, Sean, you and I have both been in media, in various forms of entertainment for decades and decades and decades. I don't really get starstruck. I'm a little starstruck today. My name is Brian Oak, and that is, or you can laugh all you want, but I, I got to be honest, when you said yes, I got very excited. We'll introduce our guest coming up here in just a moment, but I want to say hello to Sean Bernard. How are you, Sean? I'm doing great. I'm surprised you didn't play the Sammy Hagar song, I Can't Drive 55, because it's going to be your 55th birthday tomorrow. You son of a bitch. May 13th. Why would you, I thought we were friends. Why would you do that to me? 55. Oh, wow. But that's not a terrible idea. I may post that tomorrow on social media. Actually, yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good idea. We are here at 48th in Chicago, one of the most beautiful neighborhoods in all of South Minneapolis, a mere 10 blocks south of the tragedy of George Floyd's loss. And But still, it, it doesn't diminish the beauty and the intensity and the thriving nature of this neighborhood. In fact, if anything, it's added to it and has helped this area grow. We're in the Smart Start MN studio. So let's go ahead and thank Smart Start right off the bat. They were with us before we even recorded a single episode. How could they have known what a glorious dynasty this would grow into? I think they've they've got psychic powers. They must. That must that's got to be it. They certainly must. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. What that means is if you drink and drive, which you absolutely should never, ever, ever do, ever but people still do it all the time, and you're going to need to get back into your car. You can do it reasonably, legally, and surprisingly affordably by going through our friends at Smart Start. They were there at the beginning of the Ignition Interlock program. They helped the state put it together, and of course, once they had put it in place and built this beautiful, shiny object, lots of other carpetbaggers moved in. Do not go with out-of-state carpetbaggers. Do not go with imitators. Smart Start MN, Minnesota's original Ignition Interlock company. I think I figured out why they went with us. They why? knew that you and I had spent 25 plus years in media and we had enough coworkers yeah. that might be able to give them business. You know, coworkers. <clears throat> What's the best way to get a hold of them, Sean? Go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. That'll get you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock system. Anybody who has lived in the state for any period of time is going to recognize today's guest. And I am just, I reached out a while back and she said yes. And now here she is back in Minnesota and she's sitting across from me. I'm a little giddy about it. We're going to talk to her in a minute. Robin Robinson, noted jewelry designer, broadcaster. I, I don't... I, I don't even know where to start. Like the, the list of accolades is so long that I'm not sure where to start. So we're going to dive into that shortly. But before we do, I want to play one song and I want to tell a quick story. It's funny we talk about Smart Start because it was almost three years ago that I went into treatment. Apparently yes. my drinking caught up with me and I yeah. had to kind of take care of my life. And yep. when you're in treatment too, right, you're like, what am I doing here, man? I'm going to be there with a bunch of losers who have their <laughs> life together. And it, it's very humbling. You learn like, oh, yeah, no, it happens to literally everybody from every, every walk of life. Well, there was one guy in particular that I met. Um, and because you're not supposed to share names with people, and you know, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't share names with people in the program or people you went to treatment with. So for lack of a better term, I'm going to call him Tyus. It's close to his real name, but it's not his real name. Tyus was this giant six foot four, six foot six, imposing figure of a human being, looked like an NFL lineman. 
and he turned out to be one of the gentlest, kindest, and funniest people I've ever met. And I don't mean like comedy club punny. I mean like, you know, that wry smile, the little side eye, yeah. like just... I, he he ended up being one of my favorite people in the month that I stayed there. And one day, either on a way to a meeting or from a group session or cleaning up the break room to get whatever it might have been, we both started talking. We realized we were both music fans, and we started to invent this little game. I can't remember if it was his idea or my idea. I think once we started talking about music, we're like, well, so-and-so or so-and-so. Well, this band or that band, you know? And it started out innocently enough. And the rule we came up with was you couldn't justify. You couldn't qualify. You couldn't Good. say, well, they're both amazing. Just pay Pick one. Do it. And you, you kind of had to go immediately. And as the weeks went on, we were in there together for a few weeks. And as the weeks went on, we'd pass each other in the hall, you know, and you'd throw out a Jimi Hendrix or Sly and the Family Stone. You know, and you'd be like, Ooh, oh, man. But, but we, we kind of started to take pride in coming up with, impo- you know, Aretha or Nina. I mean, who? I, you, you, you can't pick, but you have to pick. And that was kind of the joy of the game. The final time we ever played, it was the day before I got out of treatment. And I walked by him in the hallway, and it, I could tell he was a million miles away. His mind was on something else, so I decided to hit him when he was weak. And I said, Tyus, Marvin Gaye. Or Sam Cook. Oh, and that's he, not and, really and, fair. And, and, no, that's, no. The, that's the whole point, Robin. It's not fair. Um, <laughs> and that was, I mean, that was the nature of the game. And but oh, it was so good because he and I had developed this game and this friendship. And he like stopped whatever he was thinking about. And he looked down and his he furrowed his brow. And he all he did, all he could do, is turn around and look at me. He's like. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. And so, again, it's not fun to dunk on someone when you know you're a better player than they are. But when you've earned their respect and then you dunk on them, there's nothing quite like it. Here's Sam Cook on The Brian Oak Show.
Mm. I mean, it is an impossible choice, oh. right? I mean, like, I, so I hit ties with uh, Sophie's choice of Marvin Gaye or Sam Cooke because there's not a right answer and there's no wrong answer. And I think that's what made it fun is there was nothing at stake and there aren't any wrong answers when it comes to what you love. But everyone also wants to show respect, right? And like, so you're not disrespecting one by picking the other one over them, but... Oh, it just felt good to dance on him a little bit. But you I'm know, it's honest. two totally different. It's two diametrically opposed artists. Yeah, g- agreed. Yes. agreed. You know, it's it, but the the in, the intensity of emotion and feeling from both of them. Correct. It takes you there. Oh yeah, and, and they're not the same thing at all. It's apples and oranges. But that's what sort of made the game so confounding and so ridiculous and pointless. But. Um, to watch his face twist up when, he had, <laughs> when without thinking he had to pick one or the other, he got he wasn't mad mad, but he's like, God damn it. And, and I'm th- sure you did a little tap dance off to the side to just I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I did not even wait for his answer, Robin. I just kept walking because I knew I knew I got him. Speaking of Robin, our guest today, many people, everyone here will know her as the television journalist that she was for more than 20 years here in the Twin Cities. She's since become an entrepreneur, a supporter of the arts, continues to be very interesting in a lot of different ways. I like to follow her on social media. Robin Robinson is our guest today. Robin, it is Lovely to have you in the Smart Start MN Studios. It was really a surprise and very sweet for you to ask me. Why would that be a surprise? You're Robin Robinson. Yeah, whatever. It, it just, it, 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 it's, I'm thrilled, honestly, that people of Minnesota are, are, are very, very kind still. I mean, yeah. I've been off the air for 13 years. I know you have, but you were on the air for more than 20 years. And before we get into all that and what you're up to these days, I would like to go back a little bit, if you don't mind, because everyone who's on the podcast for the first time, I like to know a little bit about who and how and why they are who they are. You grew up in Chicago, right? I grew up in Chicago and- in a very interesting climate, interesting family. And, and describe interesting for me briefly. My father was an alderman in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, he was in the Chicago Public Schools. But uh, his connection with my mom, my mom was the activist in the family. Right. And she came straight. They met at Chicago Teachers College, but she uh, was working for a man named uh, Sammy Rayner. And Sammy Rayner was a Tuskegee Airman who hmm. uh, came back to Chicago and opened up a funeral parlor. Wow. And just because of the climate and where he was at that time, he became a political power broker for black people in, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so people who really wanted to get elected, he was very well connected, and they came to him. And and so a lot of the young black Chicagoans of the 60s uh, went to Mr. Rayner for their political knowledge right. and trying to figure out ways to create uh, – a better Chicago for all people of color under the daily regime, you know, not the sun, but his honor, right. the mayor, the Mike Royko daily. Yeah, right. And so um, from that, it was just having a household filled with really interesting people that took pl- uh, part in politics. So, you know, there were people in our house that were part of the Afro-American Patrolman's League and there were Black Panthers in our house. There were Nation of Islam in our house. There were attorneys for the Chicago 7 in our house. I went to school wow. with a girl whose dad was part of the legal team for the Chicago 7. Really? Um, my aunt, my mom and baby sister, married into the uh, family of the Nation of Islam. So she married the son of Elijah Muhammad. He was best friends with Malcolm X. Yeah. You know, we had fascinating people in our house. And so it made me kind of gravitate towards 
what was happening in the world and the community. My dad was one of those guys that when we had dinner, we, dating myself, we watched the Huntley Brinkley Report sure. or Walter Cronkite, and then he would turn off the TV and say, we were discussing what happened today. We discussed what happened on the news. Really? We were expected to read U.S. World News Report yeah. time. And that's how I found out about Minnesota. Um, I was a kid, and you know, I watched for my own amusement the Watergate trials yeah. because I mean it was fascinating on yeah. TV. I just found it fascinating. Yeah. And so my that my dad had all the magazines. He, he expected me to read and know about these things. Mm-hmm. And one time, magazine came in, and on the cover was this really good-looking guy with gray temples, holding up a walleye and a red and black police <laughs> shirt, and it said "The Good Life." And it was Wendy Anderson. <sighs> right. And it just stuck with me. So when I ran for office <laughs> with Matt Intenza, that was really, my my thing is like Minnesota has been promoting the good life for forever. Right. And, and so it was knowing those things and learning about these things, learning about the world that really kind of introduced me to politics. But it was growing up in a very, very active family. Well, not only a political family. household, it sounds like, but also one where education and and. Self-enrichment were not only encouraged, they were required. They were expected. That, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, it kind of sucked being, you know, well, yeah, well, no, when you're eight, you <laughs> teachers and principals. <laughs> right. Yeah, it sucked. When, when, you know. you're, when you're eight years old, you don't want to be like, Dad, I don't want to read Time Magazine. I want to go out and play with my friends. Yeah, and my mother was part of that, too, because, you know, my father was a Korean War vet that married a novitiate. My mother was studying to be a nun. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I had discipline constantly. Right. And one of the things, you know, you did not have a summer playing you could play but you had to read my weekly reader and you had to know what was going on yeah you know it was a very interesting family to be in well i mean and i'm sure there are times when you're a kid where it's a drag but then when you finally you know get into adulthood and start to carve your own place in this world to have that kind of discipline to have that kind of knowledge to have that kind of appreciation for just how dynamic and well i mean i'm sure these are the skills that help feed into you a becoming a journalist and then obviously a very recognizable broadcaster so that was the first time you heard of minnesota by seeing the good life right and mm-hmm. someone's holding a walleye blah 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 at what point when you're growing up uh, do you decide or maybe it happens to you in a series of but at some point you know, broadcasting is not for everyone. Journalism, even if you're interested and inquisitive right. and intelligent, is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Right. But at some point, you fell in love with it because it's just what you decided to devote your life to. I fell in love with it because, you know, I grew up at a time where the only black women that you saw on the air were singing and dancing. It was right. Diane Carroll. It mm-hmm. was uh, Lola Falana. You know, it was, it was people like that. Let's not forget Leslie Uggams, Leslie but I understand Uggams, your yeah. point. Yes. But... I was fascinated by those women like Barbara Jordan from Texas, mm-hmm. you know, who had a real oratory. Uh, Shirley Chisholm, you know, those Shirley were women Chisholm, that really yeah. fascinated me. And then the growing, you know, number of the the young women that were uh, coming up in broadcasting, like Michelle Clark, who was the first black broadcaster for CBS News. Uh, Janet Langhart, who came into my house every night doing weather. Uh, but then it was Carol Simpson for ABC News. Yeah, the reason it attracted me, because I did watch Watergate at 12 years old, you know, right. and then I would turn on the news and it was the first time I got to see a black woman who had the command of an anchor desk. She knew about history, politics, world news, and she had a sense of poise and dignity and she didn't have to wear a sparkly gown and dress right. and, and dance. So that's what I was really interested in. This would drew me in. And so I started interning at local newspapers and doing specialized publications starting like 15 years old and i I just knew that that's what i wanted to do because you know in this world 
we all know that many of the news organizations are controlled by an individual or a corporation. And people don't get their story told all the time. My job, whether you liked me or not, was to keep my foot wedged in the door so that I could have somebody come behind me and tell a better story. But to be a subversive, a cog in the machine to disrupt constantly. And so that's why I was attracted to all that. And I can understand the appeal wholeheartedly, and especially. So then you, you end up becoming the thing that you revere. You end up becoming an anchor behind a desk that every single person in this state knows your face. They know your voice. They respect you. There is not only an air of authority to the way that you bring the news to the table, but you always had that damn smile. Always. And I mean, <laughs> and, and I'm saying that with nothing but love. All right. There was you're doing it right now. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're still doing it. And I mean, it there was Robin Robinson. And, and I guess that's why I said earlier and I was not using hyperbole. I was not being saying it just because you're sitting across from me. I was kind of giddy when I found out you were coming in today because I spent decades watching you on television. <laughs> Okay, no, I'm I, a vain spent, woman. Don't say decades. I, 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 um, spent, I spent a handful of years watching you. Your formative years. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, but before you land behind the anchor desk, uh, anybody who knows anything about the way broadcasting works, whether we're talking about news, radio, anything, you have to put time in before you are allowed to sit in the big chair, right? right. Where'd you start? My first station uh, was South Bend, Indiana, WNDU-TV which is the home of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, you go to those small markets to make your mistakes and learn. Exactly. You know, people are very forgiving there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I, I actually started working at NBC News in college, uh, and I worked for the finance department, but that wasn't what I really wanted to do. So the first job in reporting was in South Bend, Indiana, and then from there to Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, Norfolk to Dallas, uh, Dallas to Baltimore, and then Minneapolis. How did you like all that moving around? Was it lonely? Was it weird? Was it exciting? It's exciting because prior, you know, I, I probably would have never been able to do that, right. move to different parts of the country and experience people and culture and different things without television. So I'm thankful for television because it did help me develop as a person and grow as a person. Um, but it's when you're in it that you really learn about it. And I keep saying I'm going to write about it, but, you know, it it evolved in different ways throughout the decades and when i went into it it was still kind of wild wild west yeah you know we had just come out of splicing film and going to videotape Mm -hmm. um and a lot of these places were you know were people who really were and i say this about radio too it's people who are not in the norm they they don't have the typical personalities that would fit into a planned structure so you've got all these diverse personalities coming back with amazing stories um, and, and sometimes just finding stories and then developing them and learning communities. It was, it was fascinating. So, yeah, I had a long and varied, interesting career in media and got to see a lot of different things, the evolution of media, um, going from this place that was had no structure and just wildly out of control. Hmm. Um, and Do you mean in terms of content or direction or approach to covering the story at hand? What do you mean totally out of control? Most people are really principled about their news coverage. Yeah. But you're talking about people that kept bottles of schnapps in their desk, <laughs> doing coke well, in the bathroom. Yeah, Ron Burgundy. Anchorman, maybe. Yeah. That's you what know. I was going to say. I mean, but it was it was the time, right? I it mean, was that the was, time. And, and people and, hate saying that, like, oh, blah, blah, blah. it was the time. Yeah, it was. It was the time. And it was a time that really exploded. And I was a young person witnessing a lot of it. Not, yeah. you know, uh, 
not really partaking it, but watching these people and how they dealt with it. It's a high pressure job. To say it's the a least. lot of stress. Right. And you are the face of a corporate entity. So people are putting all their money on you. You've got people who like you. You've got people who loathe you. You've got people who want to have sex with you. You've got people, you know, it's all kinds of that. And people throw themselves at you for whatever they need hmm. or want. Well, they want to be part of your life. They right. want some of whatever you have, you're giving off. And regardless of what their angle is or what they're actually trying to get from you, mm-hmm. people like to be around people that other people know. Right, right. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Hmm. And so when you are in it and you're watching it, it it can be very chaotic. It can be disruptive to some people's lives. And, you you know, everybody winds up getting caught up in it in some way, whether it's their ego, um, they need something to cope with it. You lose wives, you lose families. Mm -hmm. You know, I I work with people three, four times divorced, a couple of times dried out. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a yeah. really stressful business, and people mm-hmm. have no idea how stressful it can be. You're juggling plates daily. Somebody's giving you information. You've got to think on your feet. You've got to be live. You, you've got to you know, know facts and dates and figures. You have sometimes news directors coming in and screaming, what the hell are you doing yeah, while yeah, you're yeah. on the air? <laughs> yeah. right. You know, or right. somebody's in your ear while you're talking going, kill page five. Kill page seven. Kill page. Oh. Kill the whole first section. God damn it! And they're screaming, you know. And you're just you still have to keep that smile. Yeah. Well, face, I mean, but that's know? that's the gig. And so, like, when people people will say to me all the time, you know, just doing radio, which I can't imagine having the white hot lights and the camera going. I've been in a TV studio live on the air a half dozen times in my life. Radio is stressful enough. I couldn't take what you did for as long as you did it for, uh, and we're really really good at it. But that being said, people also think. We're just sitting there reading off teleprompter. Anybody could do that. And no, it, it's nothing there have been like days that. Where the set has been on fire because right. the light burst yeah. and, and the, there's flames, and you've got the studio director on his knees trying to beat out flames, <laughs> and you're still on the air. You have a set fall on your back, and you have to push it up and go to commercial. You know, I was lucky that for many years uh-huh. I had one of the best partners in TV, and that was Jeff Passel. Right. Um, did we eat along all the time? No. You know, we fought like Sean husband and, I, and wife. Sean and I don't get along all the time. <laughs> we were, and, and he would get upset because I, I think I said in an interview that we were like an old married couple that stopped having sex. Yeah. Oof. But but we were with each other. We were still a team. Yeah. yeah. You know, you still got to do the work. Still got to do work. And honestly, the two biggest events in my career, 9-11 and the, the bridge falling, Jeff was there and he had my back and we we were so comfortable with each other that we could tell when to start, when to stop. You say this, I say that. You've got this information, I got that. And we, even like when management changed, and this is true, he probably won't like this, we stood in a corner and we were like, they could get rid of the both of us. It's you and me. It's you and me. And That's we shook cool. hands and we went home because we knew. That's so great. We, we needed each other. You had each other's backs. You know? There's lots of trust behind that you as know? well. And yeah. that rhythm you talk about, it takes a while to develop, but it once does. you have it, it but once you have it, it's invaluable. You don't you can't teach that to someone. That's no. literally putting the hours in, the days in, the weeks, the months, et cetera, et cetera. It's knowing your partner. Yeah, and you have to, even if you don't always get along, if you're gonna do it together, do it together. I always say that at work, like the walls are like this for me. 
They start inside the studio with whoever I'm doing the show with. Mm-hmm. Then it's the people who work at the station around us. Then it's the company as a greater whole. But we can't ever let one of those walls be breached. And this last wall, it's the only wall that matters, the only wall that matters. At, at, at the end of the day. Yeah. Before we continue with Robin Robinson, I have a few more questions about your KMSP days. And also I want to talk about what you've been up to because you're apparently always up to about 15 things at one time. We'll talk more about that <laughs> coming up next. But first, let's get to the first song you picked. We've gone way too long without hearing some Ooh, music. I want to dance. You going to dance with me? I Well, I'm not much of a dancer, but I am much of a Tribe Called Quest guy, which is where Q-Tip came from. Yes. And when you pulled this song in particular, Q-tip. the beat is amazing. The reason that he's one of the most popular rap edit vocal guests of all time is because he's got that killer voice and he's got that charm. What about this song? Why'd you pick this one? Yeah, I've been preparing for a big event yeah. that's coming up in the Twin Cities tomorrow. Right. Okay. And so in putting it together, you know, I'm working with people who take their look, their style quite seriously. Mm. And so in putting it together, um, it's always been one of the songs that I kind of go to as a pump up song. So that's why. Check it out now. No doubt now. Check it out now. Yeah, special girl, real good girl, biggest thing in my itty bitty world. Call her up and she made me feel right. Wish the bliss could never take flight. Sitting back with this mic in my hand, spitting hot shit, trying to see grand. Imprinted on my mind every minute. Make my plans and you always in it, y'all. Uh, such a vibrant thing, vibrant thing, a vibrant thing. And even though we both fly, give each other space and not the evil eye. Acting like grown-ups, don't even try to hide cause the spot blown up. Girlfriend telling you she wanna see, I say I don't know but you say gladly. And when we both do head, we go on and on and on and on and on and. Sweeter than Ben and Jerry, can the rhyme well you know I guess mine. Sitting around in my abstract car, this abstract thing going abstract far, yeah. Such a vibrant thing, vibrant thing, a vibrant thing, uh, yeah. Such a vibrant thing, vibrant thing, a vibrant thing. Look at check it, yeah. Look at check it, look at yeah. Yeah, such a vibrant thing, vibrant thing, a vibrant thing. Look at yeah. Check it, look at me. Check it, look at yeah. Check it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, such a vibrant thing, vibrant. MC status, all the willy that I kick make the other niggas mad as moving through your town of situation. Shorty thought she subtle, but she really was blatant when she shook a thing and violated. Now these wolf like thoughts are formulated. I'm saying, oh, is this some heartfelt shit here? Am I a strong back nigga? Well, shit, yeah. Plus, we can hold the convo or go to the movies, my crib, whatever, yo. Just wanna see you by my side. We on 95, know the stashes in the ride. Nigga, for real, you would find me in the cipher if I didn't cop a deal. Rap slate like big weight, you buy, I sell, we split big cake. Uh uh, cause move your little thing, <laughs> moving around and shaking a little thing. Uh uh, yeah, such a vibrant thing, vibrant thing, a vibrant thing. Uh, yeah, it's such a vibrant thing, vibrant thing, a vibrant thing. Yeah, uh, such a vibrant thing, uh, vibrant thing, a vibrant thing. Uh.
Nice. Well, that's okay. Just, just my, it's, just the, the, MC, it's, the, it's the, the, the Brian host. Oak show. It's fine. But you know what? <laughs> Frankly, I'd rather hear Robin getting into it than listen to me talk anymore. I talk all the damn time. Uh, it is the Brian Oak Show, episode 316. Robin Robinson. Yes, that Robin Robinson is our guest. You mentioned that I was getting you in the mood for a huge event tomorrow, which we're going to talk about momentarily. But first, I need to take 60 seconds to talk to my friend Sean. Sean has recently had a change of occupation. Nope, that's not fair. Uh, not a change of occupation, but a change of location yeah brokerage there we go and a, yeah. cha- a recent change of brokerage oh, I've changed my brokerage so you after are, all these you years are seriously you uh, but of course <laughs> um no you are still a realtor but you have changed what do you call that there's a thing i'm looking for like when you change the thing outside your door the placard oh, yeah the banner the plaque I, I know what you're talking anyway about. you work somewhere different now yeah, Remax results. So after years okay. with another company, um, I have been recruited over to Remax results, and it's really just about me wanting to office out of home instead of going into some place, like a lot of us are doing nowadays. Um, and I absolutely love it. Now I can spin over to Highland Park when I need to, which is near my home, uh, near the falls in Minneapolis. Um, the market has really picked up. Yes, the rates are still hovering in the sixes someplace, but. For some of us of a certain age, we remember when the rates were much, much higher much. than they are right now. If you know of somebody that's looking to buy or sell, 612-859-2594, and I donate a portion of every buy and sell to a local musician or band. Hardly leaves anything for you to put food on the table, does it? Well, barely. Uh, <laughs> barely. <laughs> barely. We're talking to Robin Robinson, and Robin, you talked about a major event coming up tomorrow, and that song was helping to get you in the mood, and I, like, I, suddenly I had it in my head, I could see the video for Vibrant Thing with Q-Tip, and I knew it was black and white, and I'm like, was that a Hype Williams video? So just for fun, I looked it up online, and Hype Williams, basically every iconic hip-hop video you've ever seen in the last 30 years yeah. was directed by Hype Williams in the same year that he did, do, and I've got that one right, that he did Vibrant Thing. He also did Dre and Snoop, still Dre. He did Puff Daddy, Satisfy You. He did Missy Elliott, She's a Bitch. He did three Buster Rhymes, four Ja Rule videos, two other Q-Tip videos, and I don't know if you've ever heard of a little song by TLC, TLC called No Scrubs. All that year. America's favorite I song. mean, <laughs> I mean. And that was 1999. That was... Wow. Oh, I was going to say something that was really going to make... It's my birthday tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. 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 One of the Thanks. things I like about Robin already is that when she dances, she kind of dances small. Yeah. Whereas my wife, it's, uh, there's a lot of hands way out here. Filling the room. A lot kind of, of like, thing. you got to kind of watch out. You know, keep your, keep she, your wits about you. Is she an Elaine Venice? I mean, she kind of a, she is oh a little, my gosh, little I'm bit. So sorry. I'm like, honey, honey, honey. You know, we'll go see Dr. Mambo's combo. And I'm like, we just need this section of yeah. the dance floor because my wife likes to get big. With the, There's a lot of arm waving going on. Yeah, it was really funny. I, I, there was a flyer that came out down in Santa Fe, and it had all these bands coming for this concert. Yeah. For this concert. And I just, it blew my mind because when you start to about the arm waving, it Wookie Foot is going to be playing. <laughs> and all I could think of is with the Wookie, Wookie Foot, Foot twirlers with their arms yes. in the air. Yes. And all this kind of stuff. Yeah, okay, well. What I love right there is the voice of experience because you don't know what that is unless you've been to see Wookie Foot. So clearly, <laughs> clearly Robbie, Robin Robinson is down with Wookie Foot. You talked about a huge event going down tomorrow. I thought maybe you were referring to my birthday, but I'm guessing there's a different reason that you're back in town right now. What's going on tomorrow? 
I am in town for Black Fashion Week, Minnesota, which started on the 11th, mm-hmm. and it will culminate with the big Met Gala uh, on Saturday at the Minnesota uh, Institute of Art. Wow. It's really exciting. It's the first Met Gala that they've done, mm-hmm. and uh, this year's uh, Black Fashion Week had so many different things. They had a hip-hop fashion show. They had a nail fashion show. I mean, I I don't do fancy nails, yeah, yeah. And all that, but- the designs and all it just I can only imagine I mean like when you go to like a tattoo convention the tattoos are off the chart so I can only imagine if the highlight is for everyone to bring their most ridiculous and fabulous nails to bear some of the designs must have been otherworldly you know it's so amazing the talent and Mm -hmm. this is why I moved to the Twin Cities really because the amount of talent here the people are, are just so creative this is a creative person's city uh, and so uh, it, it's going to be an amazing show tomorrow. Ramadan Designs, the Luxury Collection, Rocks Jewelry, which is mine. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you have a company called Rocks Jewelry? I have a little company called Rocks Let's Jewelry. Let's go ahead and just take a little slight detour. We're going to pull over into that little turnabout right there. Tell me about why you decided, because I wanted to bring up Rocks, and since it's invested in the Minnesota Met Gala uh, happening this week as part of Black Fashion Week, you, I mean, I think the first I heard of you after you left media was that, I, you know, I it came up somewhere, or maybe I saw it on social media, was that you were doing jewelry. Yeah, I started making jewelry as a kid. I had a mother who was very creative. You know, she was a school teacher, mm-hmm. and she sent us to private school. So a lot of times, you know, we didn't have the money that the other kids did. And so rather than, you know, disappoint us, we'd come home, well, Cheryl Schwartz is having a party, and I need a gift, and all that. She wouldn't say, I can't afford to go to FAO Shorts or whatever. Right. You know, She would just say, well, why don't we go make some jewelry? And so that's really how it started as a kid. Yeah. Um, but then I lived in Greece for a little bit, you know, in Athens. Um, and so um, I was dating a soccer player over there. And we were vacationing, and this lady kept going past our table. And I had a bracelet that I had made. Uh, and she said something in Greek, and he goes, did you understand that? And I said, no. And goes, <laughs> no. She likes your bracelet. So she came back again, and they started talking in Greek, and he turned around, looked at me, goes, take the bracelet off, give it to me. And I gave it to him, and he turned around, and he gave me 200 euros, and he goes, baby, go home and make jewelry. Wow. And so that's how it really started. So wow. I was making jewelry, and I would sold it to a lot of different people, PR women uh, in town. And uh, Sue Zellickson had her food, fundraiser yeah. out at the mall and mm-hmm. i went out there one night and she was sitting with this really distinguished looking man and uh we were all drinking of course so it got really festive and <laughs> people were coming past the table going i've got my rocks on and you know and so the guy looks at me and he goes you make jewelry i said yeah and he goes oh it's pretty he goes, you ever think about selling it i said yeah I, you know, I sell it around town yeah and he goes no i mean he goes big i mean you ever think about selling it a big place right and I said, no, no, you know, if, if it came around, he goes, you ever think about selling at Macy's? And I stupidly went, I don't like Macy's, you know, and they're going to buy uh, Robin, Dayton's. Robin, Robin, <laughs> yeah, And I'm sort of Sue was sitting there looking at me like, what is she saying? And I was like, no, they just bought Dayton's and, you know, they're going to get rid of my favorite cookies. And I don't lie, lie, lie. And I just kind of went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Sue leaned over and she goes. He's vice president of Macy's. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I, you know, because I've been drinking and I'm a smart ass, I just yeah. remember I was like, well, I 
like Macy's. <laughs> <laughs> and, did, and did that do the trick? Yeah, I wound up in Macy's in Chicago and here all in the Midwest yeah. and in New York. And, and I mean, and so obviously if you reach a certain scale like that level, not everything can be handmade anymore. And I right. know that you take great pride in right. the work that you make. So I got were a partner you, uh, here. Well, okay, but I mean, like, were you worried about quality once you scale up like that no because i got a partner okay who uh had worked with a lot of different uh department stores okay and he parlayed that into the shopping networks and so when the shopping networks took it and i was still at macy's i had some considerations to think about yeah you know and i think i got to a point in my career at channel nine where there i had a lot of different offers that i couldn't take mm-hmm that was frustrating to me. And then living in Greece and kind of like expanding my knowledges about about things and life and just where I was at that point in my life, mm-hmm. I needed a different outlet from from TV. And I had started with a gallery that I had an art gallery over in Northeast on a Hennepin called Flatland that did really well. Uh, and so I started thinking about, well, what else can I do outside of TV? And a lot of people who leave the news wind up going into PR, and I didn't want to do that. So I tried to develop all the different skills I could in case something else came up. So opening a business and being an entrepreneur, doing my own PR so I could do marketing and PR and branding and, and all that. And so I kind of learned different skills while I was at Channel 9. But then when the jewelry took off, I started traveling. I was living different places. I just realized I needed to evolve. And I think evolving is really important for everybody you know people see you in one way and you become very one-dimensional and people would say that to me like oh i don't need it's like well yeah i do different things you know a lot of people in media do a lot of different things but all you see them as is this talking head so i needed to change i needed to evolve and you know things happened and well so far so good right you seem like things are going okay you know life is interesting and and it hands you a lot of different things and i think right now i'm on a journey of personal growth um, and I left Minneapolis and then it, it everything seemed to explode, you know, and, and I really started to get homesick and felt that I needed to give back to Minnesota and do really important projects that I felt help, you know, continue with the reasons that I think Minnesota is so important to, to the nation. We have amazingly, uh, intelligent people here from the corporate life, from education and, I am still convinced that Minnesota is going to lead the way and showing people how to come back from adversity. I wanted to be a part of that. I, I, when I was at the airport and art director at the airport, I really believe in legacy and creating things that create a legacy so that people can take part in it from the community. So when they walk down the street with their grandkids or the kids, they can say, I helped make that. I helped develop that. This is why the neighborhood is like this. I took part. Coming from a family of politicians, it's important for you to give back to the community. It's important for you to care about your community. And so leaving, I felt like I had betrayed Minnesota. And so I started doing a lot of work in the community. And one of the projects that I'm working on is with a a team of really incredible women that are developers and architects over on the Longfellow neighborhood to restore the Coliseum building. And that building has so much history. So mm. many people talk about the bands that they saw there, uh, the kids that uh, are now adults that talk about going there and buying penny candy. There are dance companies that uh, were there. There was the Scientology group that was in the Coliseum wow. building. I mean, there's so many fascinating stories <laughs> and how many people that came to this country as immigrants and started mm. new business, Manny's Tortoise, 
uh, now uh, Mama so- Mama Sophia's, uh, uh, I think it's a Somali restaurant. Yes. And so all these different, you know, it has this amazing history. And I wanted to see it continue. When the buildings burned on that corner, mm-hmm. the only reason the, the Coliseum building stayed is because the people who are in the business district, district along Lake Street had presence in mind in 2005 to put in steel reinforcements in the building structure. Mm. So it was not going to go down. However, they vandalized the hell out of that building. Oh, yeah. Squatters, all kinds yeah. of stuff. Mm. Yeah. So a group of women uh, with a company called Redesign, which has been in the community, a nonprofit group, uh, restoring uh, the Longfellow neighborhood for, for almost 50 years. Uh, they got together and said they were going to rescue this building, and I wanted to help. Mm-hmm. And I um, was able to bring my company, 5x5, Five Five, which works in public art, to bring in artists that could let people see that this building was about resilience and restoration of not just the building, but the neighborhood and the people. So, yeah, I mean, I needed to evolve in different ways. I wanted to be still part of the art scene here, uh, but I wanted to make sure that I created things that solidified the legacy of Minnesota and things that people know. So when we do this, this building, the first thing we did was an outside public art wrap so the people knew that the building was coming back and that they were cared about. They could read poetry from local poets and see the visual art from all the local artists and get some hope. It's colorful. It's vibrant. When you go down Lake Street, you see it, and it's like, wow, okay, this building's coming back. This neighborhood's coming back. The The next level is to include the history. So we're going to include QR codes and readers. We've worked with Save Our Boards, and so we're putting in a lot of the protest boards inside the building to make it kind of a historical repository so people can come in, mm. put their phone up, get the QR code, and hear the stories of people who grew up in Longfellow. Oh, hear cool. the stories about the building. That's great. And then, where were you the mm. night the riots happened? Mm. So people can hear the stories of people, mm. hear the natural sound of the protesting and, and all that, and then sit back and reflect on where they were. And hopefully think about what they are doing now to bring Minneapolis back. I love it. I mean, I I live less than half a mile from there, and um, uh, and I have for twenty five years longer. Um, it was horrific, but I think that it's an important part of the story that Southeast Minneapolis has to tell. But I think you've hit the nail on the head perfectly with the people you're working with, in that we reflect and how we respond to it, how we internalize it, how we decide to move forward, coming from a really, really ugly situation in place, but maybe a necessary one. What do we do now moving forward? So I I think what you're talking about is perfect. Here's the deal. Most people don't know that the Longfellow neighborhood is a neighborhood that has been intimately familiar with protest, labor, and power. Mm -hmm. When the city was built, it was the first part of the city, separate from downtown, to create retail. So the city was forced to put transportation coming out to Longfellow. Mm-hmm. It's the first neighborhood that a lot of the manufacturing plants during World War II sprung up in. And so being across the street from across the river from the Ford plant, you had a lot of activism that was going on back and forth. A lot of families that depended on the Coliseum building and Freeman's department store. It's one of the first places that gave credit to working people. Mm. When they were not being paid fairly at these uh, machinery plants in Southeast, 
they rioted. They burned down a lot of stuff around there, too. So it's not the first riot <laughs> in Longfellow. Right. Most people don't know that. But the most important thing, I think, is that the history of Lake Street goes way, way back before it was even, uh, became a state. A lot of Lakota natives would use Lake Street as a corridor to the forts, to Fort Snelling, where they would trade. Hmm. So it's a, a part of the city that has a rich, rich history, and people need to know it. So when they think about Longfellow, Longfellow is the epicenter of the 21st century civil rights movement. And it's something people need to know, remember, know their place in it. It's part of their legacy and celebrate it. Let's go ahead and get one more song from you. Now, the other artist, the first artist you played, Q-Tip, I'm intimately familiar. Been listening mm-hmm. for a very long time. This artist, today is the first day I've ever heard their name. Yasmin Hamadan. Mm-hmm. She is amazing. And I first heard her in a movie that I adore called Only Lovers Left Alive with <gasps> Tilta Swinton. Yeah, and Tom Hiddleston and, Tom and their vampires. Yes. I love that <laughs> it's movie. It's my favorite. Right, so it's not my very favorite, but I, it's probably my favorite vampire movie. And I've tried to explain this movie to a bunch of people. And I'm like, how have you not heard of it? It's Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. And dig the dancing when they oh. uh, when they dance together. Yeah, yeah. And they, they only, there's vampires that only listen to Stax records. Exactly. <laughs> you got to love it. Love it. Tom, yeah. Tom Hiddleston lives in Detroit, doesn't in like one of the abandoned yeah, buildings. Yeah, he lives in an and, abandoned mansion. Yep, exactly. And he's living quite a lush life, but he just wants to be left alone. And then, and then he, t- he takes her out for a drive and he's like, Jack Black lives there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I love Jack Black. <laughs> it's so funny. And then his sister shows up and ruins everything. Oh, spoiler alert. Scream. Spoiler alert. So anyway, tie those two together for me. Why that movie and this song? When they run out of their blood supply. Oh, yeah. In it's Detroit, yeah. they are forced to go to Tunisia. Uh-huh. And they can't find their blood supplier in Tunisia. So she takes them into this cafe. Uh-huh. And who is singing but uh, Yasmin Hamdan. Mind blown. Give it. 
Queens of the Stone Age fan, I love a good drone now and then, mm-hmm. and there is a gorgeous Middle Eastern drone behind that song right mm-hmm. there. That was fantastic. She is amazing, and I, as soon as I heard it in the movie, I just started looking her up, and I had to hear more music, and so she's going to be part of my fashion show when we do the runway Go uh, on. tomorrow. That's so. tomorrow? Yeah. At I'm MIA? So yeah. All right. Yeah. Fabulous. Before we continue and talk more about that, plus I have to tell you a very quick story about a friend of mine that involves you. Oh, crap. Uh, but no, 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 nothing serious. Okay. No, no, no. I wouldn't, we don't go TMZ on this show. <laughs> this, this is just light conversation. Okay, That's all cool. we're doing here. But before we do, I do want to thank the good people at Moxie Wealth Management. They take a comprehensive approach to your finances, your wealth, or modest lack thereof, perhaps in my case. But they can take a look at it from every single angle. Maybe you got insurance policies. Maybe you have a sweet 401k or a Roth. They kind of do this whole comprehensive thing and then keep checking in and letting you know, well, oh, this changed, or maybe you should try a little bit of that. Moxie Wealth Management, Joe and his team are really good at what they do. I wonder if they'll do things like recommend you. Now, some people, when they retire, are going to be able to move into a nice townhome, you know, in the suburbs. You are going to move to a small little house in the middle of South Dakota. <laughs> do, you, do you have any relatives left that would let you build a tiny house on their property? Because you are gonna, you're going to live in a tiny, tiny house. Some might call it a doghouse. I hope that that. I mean, I hope that's not the situation for anyone listening. But I feel like Joe, he would probably find a slightly more diplomatic or delicate way to put it than we did right there. But I imagine they're gonna they're gonna be frank with you about where you're at and what you need to do. Well, it's so important to kind of know where you stand, and so many of us kind of let life go by. We may have a four hundred one k, an IRA, et cetera, et cetera. We hope that Social Security will still be around by the time we go to, go to retire. <laughs> With all of that, they'll help you assess where you're at. They also have a tax person as well. And so it's kind of a comprehensive approach to your wealth management, which some of us find that those two words together kind of yeah, funny. But I, yeah, yeah, I, I don't exactly. know that I'm, I have either of those things. So, yeah, no, I need all the help I can get. Exactly. Go to moxiewealthmanagement.com for more information. Set an appointment. Get it done. Don't blow it off. Yeah. At least ask, you know. Just it, sit I mean, down if they for a laugh, meeting. if they laugh you out of the office, then you know that it wasn't they for you. They don't do that. No, anymore. of course they don't. You just need somebody to kind of break it down That's to you it. in a real way that yes. you can understand. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. know that I don't have the resources to qualify as a client, and then be like. Oh, shit, somebody better get back to work. Somebody better get back to work. A friend of mine, so I I wasn't joking earlier when I told you that I was a little gobsmacked that you agreed to be on the podcast because you're 
GD Robin Robinson, man. Oh, and man. so, well, I'm just telling you. So, uh, I, I I might have mentioned I'm it thankful. to a couple of friends. Um, one, my buddy Dave was like, I was at a party at her house many years ago, <laughs> Monster X related. I had friends who did tape duplication and CD burning. Somehow they got an invite. But the reason he brought it up, he is my illustrator friend. He is the guy who designed this very logo that's oh, right behind nice. us right here, did that painting on the wall right there. Nice. He is an avid music lover and a huge concert goer, and he yeah. said the thing he remembered most was that you had several Frank Kozik posters yes. in your place. And, of course, and Frank just Kozik passed. just yeah. passed earlier this week. Yeah, you know, I was really, I'm still very good friends with Tom Hazelmeyer. Uh, really? Yeah. That, I mean, but to me, those two are on the same wavelength. Yes, I mean, and that's how of, I really got into my lowbrow collection. Right, okay. Because Hayes was just, you know, he was a... A very intimidating figure, Tom Meyer, you yeah, know, yeah. ex-Marine, uh-huh. North Sider. He, he doesn't take any shit. No, I mean, and so he, he always kind of has that look yeah. on his face too, right? Intensity. Like, like, are you mad? Are you mad, bro? Yeah. I have been, you know, and, but, but I was also, very scared of him but when you, time. I mean, when you look at everything he did with Amphetamine Reptile Records and the work he continues to do for various festivals and yeah. various individual concerts, I don't feel like age has softened his artistic output oh, at, all, at all. If anything, I think it's sharpened his edge. You know, I, I'm always just like constantly on him because he doesn't take good care of his health. And right. So I'm just like, dude, get your health together. Mm. You know, stop eating steaks. <laughs> you know, so because I want him around. I mean, dude, he's so prolific. And yeah, he's, yeah. He's really a, a genius. And so. And sort he, of his signature red, white, and black on like cardboard yeah. backgrounds. And he's just, there's nobody else like him. Nobody does what he does. He introduced me to Frank Kozik. He introduced me. Like in real to, life. N- not in real life, oh, I mean, but, like, to but like the, the art, the collection. The- in real life, he introduced me to Glenn Barr and Shep Ferry. Wow. And Niagara. Really? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you're going to, like, if he says, oh, this is a nice piece, or I'm going to have him in my gallery, yeah. you're like, I got to get some. So he influenced my collecting a lot. And uh, I have a, a few Frank Kozik. Well, and yeah. Frank, for people who don't know Frank Kozik, um, when you when you look at sort of the big garish cartoony um, concert like a posters, Fred Flintstone <clears throat> shooting heroin, exactly, it, it, very much so, you know, and or like oh, a little <laughs> child, <laughs> a little child crawling on the ground, getting chased down by slugs or something like that, but all in these bright sort of neon colors. That was Frank Kozik, and really one of the more celebrated, um, I don't know, lowbrow yeah. artists in our lifetime really definitely and you know i'm i'm thrilled that uh tom gave me enough information to kind of like no kozik but okay i'll tell you some some personal robin secrets um i dated the guy who was the uh advertising director at juxtapose magazine really mm. so he also influenced me a great deal on who to collect and why this person is important and all that um so yeah i i and yeah it was a big influence. I, I started going down memory lane. I don't know if I really kind of want to go into it the, deeply. You, you, don't, you don't have to say anything you don't want to say. No. I just The AMREP like, guys were very influential in my personal life. That's all. Collecting art. I want to let that one sit right dating. there and just let everyone <laughs> think about what she said. Just hmm. let everyone think about what Robin said. Hmm. No, Ro- I dated one of the guys on their label. Yeah. Uh, who, I mean, he was like one of the originators of noise rock. Uh, if you've heard the band Unsane. Yeah. I dated Vin- Vinny Signorelli for a while. Really? Yeah. Unsane. drummer. Uh, Unsane is not the kind of thing you listen to when you are rocking on the back porch <laughs> on a <laughs> balmy summer afternoon. I've seen Unsane once. I've heard their music many times. Unsane we're not looking to create a comfortable, relaxing space. No, but you know, I 
I took my job at Channel 9 doing the buzz very seriously mm-hmm. and covering arts and entertainment. Yeah, yeah. The real purpose was to really let people know in the Twin Cities how important they were musically yeah. and who their connections were. Agreed. And so because AMREP was dealing with a lot of different bands, at one point, Unsane made MTV because of their video Scrape. And it was a it was lauded at that time as being a really powerful video because it was nothing but wipeouts on skateboards. Right. And... Mm. I put it on the air, and I had the band on, and people were like, are you kidding? I was like, no, this is going to be great. And we kind of hit it off, and I was like, I like your tattoos. And, Fair, your and, then, and we started going out. Okay, well, and I'm, I hope it went very, very well. It did. I love Vinny. He Good. he had a heart attack uh, not long mm. ago, oh. and so now he's kind of semi-retired. Right. He sold all the music stuff, and he lives in Tulum. Tulum, Mexico? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, I... I mean, I'm sorry that he had a heart attack. Um, and that he's all the guys that did have had heart attacks but, recently. <laughs> but but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like there are way worse ways to count out one's years than with your toes in the white sand of Tulum. Yeah, he bought a place down there. He he was a great entrepreneur. He owned real estate. He had, I think, a tattoo shop. I think he had a barbershop. And then he kind of said, I'm done. You know, he used to play with um, Xene and... It was, you know, it was, he was an interesting cat. I liked him. X is one of my all-time favorite bands. So, um, you have settled yourself these days down in the American Southwest. Yes, sir. Let, let me ask you this. You know, you've lived in different places. You yeah. obviously have more than earned your Midwesterner stripes, Thank right? You. Um, but these days you are down Southwest. What has been, I, you don't even have to tell me why you went, how you went, anything like that. What I'd like to know is what you've learned about the Southwest that you didn't know before and what the appeal is that still keeps you there instead of boomeranging back to Minnesota like so many people do. Well, it was my business, 5 by 5 I'm here um, from springtime to fall. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so you're back for the duration. I thought we were getting you for like the one day you were in town. Oh, no, no, no. I come back and forth. Sorry. Oh, Sorry to blow your bubble. No, we but, found uh, I come back often because I still am working on different public art projects. I got you. Here. All right. So you bounce um, back and forth. Yeah. But Yo, you I, just, like you hate winter. I really do. I understand. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And you are by no means alone with that. I happen to love winter way more than I like summer. But I see what you've done. You've crafted this incredible life where you don't have to shovel snow. Thank you. Ever. Ever. Robin Robinson, ladies and gentlemen. I I was calf deep in snow one April here, Uh uh shoveling out my driveway. And I said, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. And it's because (laughs) I, I... I love Minnesota. I will never completely ever leave Minnesota. It's been good to me, and and I'm thankful. But the winters are intense after a certain time. It goes down to the bone. I know know a lot of people who hate them and a lot of people who go away during the winter. And I just, but I I guess I'm just marveling at myself for putting that together mid-conversation. I'm like, oh, Oh, snowbird. Okay, but yeah, then I'm you come snowbird. back. So, I mean, so what does summer look like for you then? Do you, you are going to be working with 5 by 5 Right. And what, I mean, what do you like when you come back to Minnesota? Obviously, you're Robin Robinson, so I'm sure that your social calendar is absolutely booked. But, I mean, what do you like to do when you come back here? What are your favorite things to do when you come back to Minnesota in the summer? When I come back, I you know, I sit on a couple boards. So I usually go to galleries like Suvac and uh, check out the, the exhibits that we're doing because I sit on the board and I approve them and I want to see the shows. Um, I was uh, chair of the board for a short time at the Minnesota Museum of American Art. So I try to get over there and check out what they're doing. Uh, you know, probably hit 
some music, a little bit of music uh, while I'm in town. Probably go to the Astor Cafe. Oh, yeah. It's um, a great venue. I love Astor Cafe. I, mm-hmm. You know, see some friends they are playing. Yeah. Uh, and then just kind of sit around a friend's house and let them barbecue and just do nothing. That sounds good. But, you know, there's so much that's going on. I mean, you when have, you come back here, I, I always have something Summers are nuts. On. I'm sure you do. No, summers you know, are summer's absolutely Summer's the best time nuts. to be in Minnesota. I mean, well, absolutely. Minnesota is a beautiful place in the summertime. Until it gets to be about 80 with a dew point of about 70. And then, yeah, then October never comes soon enough. But. I like a dry heat. Oh, that's and fine. I, I, the reason I really do love Santa Fe, I've had a place in Santa Fe since 2010. Okay. And I rented it out because I just, the pace there is a lot slower. It's a place for people who the average age is about 70. Yeah. And uh, the speed limit is 25 miles an hour. Right. So and it's strictly observed. It is strictly <laughs> observed, and so you know when you're a little bit younger, it's like eh, this. This is moving a little bit too slow. So I didn't go a lot. I would go for weekends, and that's it. But when you start living there full time, you start to notice some similarities and, dis- and differences. It is also a major art center, mm-hmm. just like the Twin Cities. Yep. So you always have art, and then you get to see a lot of Twin Cities musicians. Oh, come that's down great! There, which is really great. Um, I'm trying to think who uh, big name came down there recently, and you see dance companies from the Twin Cities, hmm. you see musicians from the Twin Cities. I, I'm trying to think who it was, but it was somebody really well known that came down, and everybody just lost their mind in Santa Fe. So there's always music, there's always dance, there's always art. That's the great thing. The difference is Minnesotans are so damn polite, and <laughs> even when they're when they're being funky to you, they are still polite. Right. And even the way Minnesotans talk. Yeah, sure, you betcha. It's still a friendly way of interacting with people, no matter what. When you're in the Southwest, the way they phrase things come off really kind of, it would would really hurt a Minnesotan's feelings. Yeah. So uh, Minnesotans will say, you know, they're going to the store with somebody or ask you, are you going to the store with them? People in, in New Mexico say, are we going to the store or what? See, that was your response. That's almost you New Yorker sounding. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean that, very that, curt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's that's abrupt. It's abrupt. Yeah. It's very abrupt. And it takes abrupt. you by surprise. Yeah. So Are we going they, to the store or what? Yeah. And it's different how they interact. Huh. And they're quiet. They're more private. Okay. You know, these are people of desert rats. They yeah, yeah. are not really interested in having a whole bunch of friends. Yeah, yeah. You know, they are insular. They're there for a reason. Yeah. There's a lot of transplanted Minnesotans mm-hmm. in, in New Mexico. Like you can find people who work for Delta, uh, Pat Fallon, uh, Fallon Advertising oh, yeah. was there for many years. Mm-hmm. I knew somebody um, that dated him. Thank you. Um, <laughs> he just gave me a San Pellegrino, lovely San Pellegrino. If you're thirsty, mm. have a San Pellegrino. You need to open it up right on the show so we can I hear that we wonderful sound. Yeah. Oh, listen to that, oh, Robin. Wait a minute. Am I sharing an Italian sparkling soda with none other than Robin Robinson? So the dating down there has to be interesting if they do that when they just ask you if you're, you know, going to a movie with somebody. So they, they literally will look at somebody and say, so are we going to get it on or what? Right? <laughs> are we doing you this know, or what? Started, are we doing this or I've what? I started dating down there, Uh-oh. honestly. And it's, it's, it's different because it has a very um, macho oh. kind of, not in a bad way, okay. it's just that. But like a men, Wild West kind of way? Or? No, men are men. You know, that well. kind of... No, no. They 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 celebrate their role as men. All right. And they... It's it's hard for me to explain. Like an urban cowboy kind of way or more of a... 
Like Old West way. Old West. Okay. Wow. Old West. Not really cowboy. I mean, although there are lots of cowboys down there and they do rodeos and all that. I can't mm. stand phony cowboys because I lived in Texas and Austin for a little while and there were people that had lived down there for approximately 36 hours and they already had the 10 gallon hat and they were already starting to do the, yeah, hey, I lived how in are y'all doing there? There's a lot of suits and boots. <laughs> yeah, you that's know. annoys um, me. But not suits so much in, in Santa Fe. Good. Um, Santa Fe has a lot of different groups. There's the Lululemon group. Oh, yeah. Well, the, I, unfortunately, that particular <laughs> yeah. virus is spread to pretty much everywhere now. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure there's plenty of it mm-hmm. down there. I mean, because you're dealing with a community that has a little bit of wealth to it, right? A lot of wealth. Yeah, exactly. A lot of wealth. So there's the Lululemon group. But then there's also the artists. Of course. And then you've got cults down there. Cults like dangerous religious people? Mm, okay. Not dangerous, but religious. Okay. You know, they, Over, wear, overly. they wear turbans. Okay. They go barefoot. Bigamous yeah. and polygamous. And not, not I don't know. It's it's a, and I keep asking people, who is this group? And they don't seem to know, but it's they're older and they've been established for like since the sixties down there. Intr- so it's not like the Benai Brith or anything no. like that. I mean like not <laughs> no. but, but like not anything we've ever heard of before. It's, this is its own it's thing. It's its own thing. There's there's a lot of military people down there. Yeah. Mm, a lot yeah. of weird. scientists. I don't know how I feel lab, about Santa Fe. Kirtland Air Force Base. I'm worried. Well, Santa Fe, you know, that's where they developed the bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like three blocks from my house, Marcy Street. It's like down one of these little streets. You, you got a Geiger counter. So you're explaining a lot right now, You Robert. see a lot of interesting things. You know, there's, a lot, of, you there's a lot of planes that fly there very Uh-oh. quiet. Yeah, yeah. What's happening um, down there? You're down there on a special report, Robin. Well, I'm a little scared of them because there's <laughs> a lot of like black SUVs with tenant windows that Uh-oh. go off on exits that aren't marked. Right. You know. It's it's a lot of things. There's you know property of the government. Don't pass this. As a lifelong ancient aliens watcher. Oh uh, my gosh! So am I. No, it's literally every Friday when we're done here. <laughs> I unless they got ancient that aliens. shit unexplained show on with William Shatner. I don't like that one. On front, no, neither do I. Because I like Giorgio. Oh, Giorgio's the man. Yeah. Robin Robinson's flirting with me. All right, we got to wrap this thing up. Um, <laughs> oh, it, it's, honestly, it's, li- it's literally okay, let me, what let me, I do. Let me, let me say this. Go ahead. I had a lump in my finger that I couldn't understand why it hurt so bad. It yeah. just came out of nowhere, uh-huh. you know. And so I went to the doctor. I had it lanced, and he's pulling tissue, just tissue, 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 tissue. And I'm getting sick. Like, 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 like meat or like no, like paper? strands of tissue. Ooh. Strands. Yeah, yeah. Strands. And they couldn't identify it at all. What? And so he's like, can I take pictures of this? La, la, la. I was like, sure. I'm watching Ancient Aliens, and the picture of my finger cuts. At after he pulled out all this tissue, I mean, I got tinny, skinny little fingers. He pulled out all this tissue. There was a red cylindrical, like bead. Stop it! In my finger. Stop it! Like a looked like a vitamin. It was oval shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he could they couldn't identify what? it, and they took a picture, and I saw it on Ancient Aliens. Your actual one, mm-hmm. the one they pulled out of your finger. Mm-hmm. You're, you've been on Ancient Aliens. My finger has. Or, well, something that's been inside you has been <laughs> yes. on Ancient Aliens. And they couldn't identify it. The fuck? I Robin. think we need it to be continued now, on me, this episode. Now, let me just say this honestly. If you come down and visit, <laughs> yeah. I've seen some crazy stuff. I'm sure you I mean, but that's sort of ground zero these days, you know, between military bases and that neck of the woods. I mean, that's where it all goes down. We'll see you in November. My friends, honestly, were up in the Oregon Mountains down in the southern part of the state. Yeah, yeah. And they swear that a plane flew down so low, they watched the ground open up like a zipper. Go on. They saw fluorescent lights and equipment moving back and forth. 
the plane flew in and closed up. Whoa. I believe it. It's crazy down there. I, That's well, why I'm down there. Well, I mean, in, <laughs> I love it. in Oregon, Oregon's the only the, the state I've been to more than any other state than Minnesota is Oregon. So sounds about right. Lots of areas to disappear. They, and they do. That's yeah. why people are down there. They, they don't want to be found, a lot of them. They just, well, they don't want to be around other people. Have you met people? They're largely terrible. I have hope for people. I, I'm trying. We better wrap because. Yeah, we got to wrap. Okay, you guys. Thank you for having <laughs> that me. That was this super was really fun, though. Fun. Hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm going I'm to ramp up this last little part of it here. So Robin Robinson is our guest. And there are so many other 8 trillion things I want to talk to you about, but our time grows I'm very short. Come back before you decide to bug out and head south again. How about that? Oh, I'm leaving Sunday. But oh. invite me back. No, but later on. Yeah. Invite I mean, me later on for in the sure. year, like, let's Absolutely. do something towards oh, yeah. the end of summer sure. or as more events unfold. So two last questions for you. One, if people want to know more about these events that you are involved with, the things that you do, is it best to follow you on social media? Is there one great website? What's the best way to keep track of what Robin Robinson is up to? I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I don't do Twitter. don't like Elon Musk. Yeah. Um, I, I have my website, 5x5art.com. Okay. You can see all the projects that I'm working on and some of the past things I did, like my gallery. And I do a lot of writing. I write for Artful Living Magazine. I write for Minneapolis St. Paul and Minnesota Monthly and Inter Magazine, which is the magazine for architects. In when are you going to write a book? You know what? I have the title. It's called Black Betty. No, Black Barbie. Okay. Black Barbie. Yeah. And I did start the chapters of it, but I had a lot of writer's block, and I also had a lot of reticence because many of the people are still alive in the yeah. Twin Cities. They I got have families. I don't want to upset anybody. Right. I got some wild-ass stories. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you, you you throw in one or two wild-ass stories, and that's great. I don't think it has to be a scathing memoir, but you've also lived a really cool and interesting life, and you continue to do so, and I feel Thank like... You. It would be nice to have a document of that somewhere. It will. I just, you know, I had to get really over this writer's block. Neil right. Carlin was helping me. but well, I'm not trying to hassle you. I was just curious because it seems like now would be an excellent time once the madness of summer passes for you to write a book. We are going to wrap things up with Robin Robinson. I want to thank our good friends at Moxie Wealth Management, our good friends at Smart Start MN, our good friends at Audio Equip who have provided us with all this lovely equipment in this room. Uh, thank you, Sean Bernard. Thank you, Brian. Oh, thank oh. you, Robin. It was just... I. I realized I saw you at some broadcast convention many, many years ago, but this is the first time we've met, so it's been lovely meeting it's you. It's lovely meeting you, too. Absolutely. You guys are fun. Let me come back and <laughs> hang out with you. You've sent me a list of songs of things you've been listening to lately, yeah. and I feel like sometimes, you know, I, I actually, I'm not real deep on like Zodiac or Fate or any of that kind of stuff, you know, astrology, but I do feel like sometimes the universe conspires to connect certain junctures. Yeah. You mentioned this song, and it turns out that one week from today, I will be leaving the Twin Cities to head out to Pasadena, California, and I'm going to the- You're going to that show! The Cruel World Festival. Oh, man, I'm jealous! <laughs> ABC, Adam Ant, Animotion, Billy Idol, Echo and the Bunnymen, Gang of Four, Gary Newman, Iggy Pop, Love and Rockets, Modern English, Susie, Human League, The Motels, The Vapors, and several other younger bands. That, oh, I'm that so plug- jealous. So my, my daughter and I went last year, um, and that was three years in the running because she bought me the tickets for my birthday right before COVID shut everything down. Oh. So it got delayed, it got canceled, it got delayed. We finally went last year, these tickets went on sale, and my sweet, sweet daughter's taking me for my birthday. Enjoy. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait. And so when you picked this song, I'm like, <laughs> it's a sign. It, it's all going to be okay. 
Thank right you very much. This Thank has been you. fantastic. You will come back sometime, yes, please? Yes, I will. Thank All right, you. very good. Robin Robinson and little Susie and the Banshees.
Joe Burgess is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securian Financial Services uh, Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC. North Star Resource Group is an independently owned and operated. Moxie is affiliated with North Star Resource Group and is independently owned and operated. 2701 University Avenue Southeast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55414.